incredible that we're invited uh, into the presence, as Connor was reading, greater. It's one day in your presence, Lord, to be invited to be the, the doorman in his kingdom is something, a, a greater honor than could be bestowed on earth. And then to think that we get to sing with the angels, holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty. Let's sing this morning.
Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Pastor Mike will be preaching from verse 10 in just a few minutes. And we'll remain standing together out of honor for God and his perfect word. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You may be seated. And as we pray this morning, just want to mention that we'll be especially praying for one of our missionary couples that we support, Steve and Mayan Cad, and they uh, make gospel resources, videos, and other kinds of things to send into areas uh, that are very challenging for the gospel. So we'll pray and pray for them this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the words that we were just singing, that you are holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of your glory. And Lord, we look forward to the day when your glory truly will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And this world will be what it was always made to be. A theater in which your people live in perfect relationship with you. And display uh, your beauty and your rule across this whole world. Lord, we long for that day. And we, we know that even now as your church, you call us to be a people who are characterized in our lives by submission to you, in relationship with you, in obedience to you as the king of the universe. And so, Lord, we pray that you would allow that to increasingly be true of us. Father, we thank you so much that it is by grace we've been saved through faith, that this is not our own doing, and it's, it's, the, it's the result of your gift towards us. Lord, thank you for the way that it humbles us to remember that, to know that everything we have has been given to us by your 
gracious hand. There is nothing that we could boast in because nothing has come from us. Our spiritual life, any gifts that we have, any way that we've been able to be useful to you, and of course, our salvation, our, our relationship with you, it's all a gift from your hand. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you this morning. Thank you that even when we remember all of our own sin and our, and our uh, misdirected uh, desires, Lord, we can go back to the cross and back to Christ and know that you have given your Son as the sacrifice for sinners once for all, and he's risen again. So, Lord Jesus, as your people this morning, we want to express again that all of our hope rests in you. There is no other sacrifice, and there's no other road by which we could come and approach the Father. And so, Lord, we love you. Thank you for giving your life in our place. We worship you as the King of all. Lord, we're also thankful for the chance that you allow us to have to, to partner with other people and even other churches and the, the work that you're doing around the world. And we thank you for the CADs this morning. Thank you for their years of faithful service to you. And we wanted to pray for them personally, that you would continue to draw them near to yourself, that they would walk closely with you and have holy lives that would put the gospel on display for those around them. We pray that you would allow them to have an impact for the gospel, even in their personal relationships with, with people around them, um, just in, in day-to-day interactions. And then we pray for their ministry as well, of, of making media that promotes the gospel and, and can go into difficult places. Lord, we lift that up to you and ask that you would cause it to be useful. Would you allow the things that they make to land in front of the right people um, and hearts that need to hear the gospel? And would you work in those hearts to open eyes and give understanding so that people would believe in Christ and be saved? Lord, we're thankful for them, and we pray that you would encourage them and sustain them in their work and we're just grateful for their service to you. Lord, we thank you that we can be together this morning to worship you. We pray that, that you would do what only you can do supernaturally. Thank you that you're with us this morning, present by your Spirit, indwelling us. And we ask that your Spirit would work in us to conform us to the image of Jesus this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And this morning we'll sing, Be Thou My Wisdom and Thou My True Word. And in the first Three, we'll sing, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. And so I'll invite you to stand with me and we'll sing and we'll boast this morning that we know him who created all things, that we know him who gave his son so that we could have a relationship and be reconciled to him. Let's sing, Be Thou My i 
once was lost in darkest night, yet you thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran, my hellbound was indifferent to upon my helpless state and led me to the cross and I beheld God's love displayed you suffered in my place you bore the wrath reserved for me in you, that we can boast knowing that Christ is sufficient, not only sufficient to pay the price for our sins, but sufficient to provide us with our righteousness and good works that we can't earn, that we can't do on our own, but through him we can, and we can bring you glory. Even this morning, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified 
drawing us closer to yourself, giving us a desire and a longing for you as we were made for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We are in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 today. I'm entitled this sermon, More Good Works. More Good Works. We're saved by God's works from our bad works for good works. Now, the scriptures tell us that only God is good. And there's an old saying that goes like this. You might follow along with me. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Now, as true as that is, he is also great and holy and just and righteous and loving and kind and merciful and gracious all the time. So everything he is, he is with perfect consistency. But God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and he wants every believer to do good all the time. And all the time God wants you to do good. And he saves people from their sins so that they would do his will that they would do good following Christ. Now, I realize what that does to some of you, and probably to all of us, really. It, if you think about your life, you, you can probably accurately say that, well, sometimes it feels like I'm going through life at breakneck speed, warp speed, with blinders on, and I only see what I want to see or what I can see as things fly by, and I'm even trying to create some sort of paradise here on earth, and when it doesn't go as planned, I might get envious and resentful of those for whom it seems to, and it's very easy as a believer to get pridefully frustrated, and as a result, not do good. With Paul, you proclaim, as he said in Romans seven nineteen, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. A lot of Christians struggle with that, and all the time, God intends for us to do good. And so this is obviously something we can all uh, get a better handle on and better understand and practically live. And so as, we, as we're looking at this, we're going to look at a, a part of a verse today, really a part of a verse, okay? And... Um, we think of Ephesians. If you've been with us the whole time, we've been going verse by verse through Ephesians. Uh, for God's glory and our good, here's what God did. He front-loaded the entire letter with sovereign grace in salvation. He didn't just start and say, okay, now, Christians, do good. He didn't do it. And, and we need to understand God's sovereign grace in salvation so that we can go and do good. And he front-loaded this with sovereign grace in salvation, first chapter and a half. And then verse 10 points us to really ponder good works uh, prompted by God's amazing grace. But what we've seen so far really is what inspires the good works. God saved us. He saves sinners solely by himself, not with any help from us. And he saves Christians solely by himself, and they are his new creatures in Christ. And it is for his sovereign purpose to serve his purposes in the generation that we live. And it's by his sovereign initiative that he planned the works ahead of time that we are to walk in. And then we come into the picture. We are to obediently respond. We uh, dependently obey. 
But what you find, if you're a believer, you find that good works are crucial to your life, to your existence as a new creation in Christ. It's the outflow and that you as a believer are the product of God's providential plan for a purpose. And the purpose is to do good work. So we need to understand what that means. And especially we need to understand that phrase, what does it mean to walk in good works? What does that mean? That God's glorious grace drives our good works. We can see that clearly. We can see that God changes our desires, that we desire and do God's good pleasure as he redirects us, he recreates us in Christ, that we get resolved to live a humble and holy life in Christ's strength. We even see that our life becomes a fragrant aroma of Christ, that uh, we can be a humble blessing and uh, we can be a gospel worker doing good in a local church. Uh, we can uh, be a fruitful witness sacrificially serving Jesus. All that because God saves us by his grace. But the idea, really, of what does it mean to walk in these good works, this is a very um, real-time practical question. How do you live it? What, what does it mean? Uh, if you're a Christian, you are living in Christ's strength under his word for his glory. But at the very same time, you realize, and I'm navigating life on a sinful planet as a sinful soul. And I'm battling my sin and others' sin. And I'm, I'm pursuing righteousness through the struggle of life. And, and what you need to do then is say, okay, Christ is my life. Christ is my all. I, I, his strength is made perfect in my weakness, but how do I walk in these good works? What we're going to do is what we'll do is we're going to focus today on our new life in Christ. What does it mean to be walking in good works? In light of our former life, walking in dead works. That every Christian knows that they were saved by God's works from their bad works for good works. And so you have to review. You can't just say, you know, I'm a Christian now and uh, every, I can't ever talk about my old life. Because when you have a, your testimony even, what you say is, here's what my life was like and here's how Jesus changed my life. And you don't major on your old life, but you do set the context with that and to show the contrast. And if anyone knew you before you were a believer, some of, some of you are like, I became a believer when I was four. I didn't do any bad deeds, you know. Ask your parents. Our former life was that of walking in dead works, doing evil deeds, our, our old life, dead works, walk, the walking dead. And if you will, just put your eyes on verse 1 of this chapter, Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So after a whole chapter of sovereign grace in electing and predestinating and, and, and God adopting us into his family, now you need to realize, believer, you were dead. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which, it says, verse 2, you formerly walked. Now, keep that in mind, walked, okay? Because we see it in verse 10. So previously you were living one way. And what were you doing? You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, literally Satan, and the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. And verse 3 says this, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. 
So here's the truth about us. Before we were saved, sometimes, sometimes I don't know why, but sometimes Christians get this, this swagger, you know, and it's like, I'm better. And it's like, the Christian should be the last person in the world to, to have a swagger and, and be somehow proud, even around other Christians. It's just, we're supposed to be humble. And that should be coming out. You know, Titus tells us things about our old life too. And, and it's like, Titus 3 says this. Okay, so let's just admit it. We were once foolish and disobedient and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Some of you are like, oh, I never was like that. Well, ask around. And Romans 1.31 just succinctly says this, oh, we were foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Pretty much sums it up. The dead man can't climb out of a casket, except, except for that one woman who, I guess, knocked on her casket during the funeral recently. Um, they, they opened it up, and, and she was alive, but then she died like the next week. I don't know what happened. But a lifeless corpse cannot resuscitate itself. A drowned person cannot grab a life preserver. A dead dog can't jump up and lick your hand. A dead cell phone can't recharge itself. Uh, like, you were dead. Like, you weren't, we weren't playing possum. We weren't pretending. We were dead spiritually. We, we weren't taking a nap. We were dead. We weren't in a coma. We were dead. Utterly unable spiritually and no hope without outside help. We've been, a lot of us have been watching this week about the five souls that were lost on the Ocean Gate Titan submersible. Uh, well, they were going to view the Titanic wreckage, right? And they were lost with no hope. They were drifting, helpless, and, and kind of like us apart from Christ, sinking, no way to find our way back home unless and until someone rescues us. And we know there's only one rescue through Jesus Christ. So before you ever had any desire to believe in Jesus, you were lifeless toward God. You were unable to do a thing. God had to make you alive. I don't know why people push against that. It's just the, the scriptural truth. Our pride pushes against that. Before you ever had any desire, God had to do something. And then you could believe in Jesus. It's called regeneration. It's called being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God did that to you. So what you find as a Christian is our former life was walking in dead works. And here's what's interesting. And this is the struggle. This is the struggle. We're told over and over again in the New Testament, put off your old life and put on your new. It's not like you're some drone or some, you know, radio-controlled car or something where, you know, just autopilot and you're just walking around doing everything you're supposed to do automatically with no thinking. No, uh, Christianity is a thinking person's uh, uh, life. It's like we're told, put off the old, put on the new. Don't keep living in your old life. That requires you to make some choices in real time. Like, what if you had a broken appliance and you're like, I'm just going to keep it around just in case I need parts. You know, weigh you down. It's going to fill up your garage, your side yard, whatever. If you died, your family's not going to stick you in a closet and go, just in case we need the parts. And you're not going to drag a stinking corpse around. But that's what some people do. And so Paul has to say in Ephesians 4, no, 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 put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. It stinks. 
It's, it's corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, which has been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You have a new life in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have a, a new life. And so now you can be walking in good works. You can be ready for good deeds, like poised, like runners poised at the starting line for a race. Poised to do good. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 9.14, that the blood of Jesus purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's God's workmanship. This, this verse, verse 10, tells us we are God's workmanship. That means that God actively, decisively, creatively remade you. Verse 10 says that we were saved for good works because of God's good works, not ours, not yours, not mine. Good works, and we are to walk in them. What does it mean to walk in them? It doesn't mean to work in them. God prepared them beforehand. You don't work for them. Good works for believers that he will perform in and through you as you walk by faith in his power. So it's not you doing a work for God, but God doing a work in and through you. As we know, works are not the means of salvation. Faith in, in Christ um, is brought about even as a gift. And, and works are evidence of salvation. And, and God works in the believer, even his prepared works, it's grace from start to finish, but your mind and your will have to be engaged in a Christian life. None of you, none of you, you know, were, were like, uh, were just, you know, transported here without, without knowing it was going to happen. You decided to come. You got yourself looking good, and you're here, and and you're opening your Bible, and you're, and you're going to do things today. You, you make the choices of your life. But it says here that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And here's our phrase for the day, that we might walk in them. What does that mean, that we might walk in them? It's, it's our new life being exemplified by good works, that we might walk in them, the Bible talks a lot about walking. You open up your Bible, it's talking a lot about walking. Enoch walked with God. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Ephesians 5, walk circumspectly or carefully, wisely. Now we often say that walk means live, and it does. It's true, but there's more to it. It's not, a walk just means live. Here's what the idea is behind it. That it means that you're actively going in a certain direction. You're not standing still. You're not frozen. This is movement in the right direction. You know, like exercise, people interested in exercise will say, you need to keep moving. You need to have activity. You need to be hydrated and keep moving, right? You need to be active. This is, this is the idea of, Christian, you need to keep moving. When it says that we should walk in these good works, keep moving. If you need just two words, write that down. Keep moving. The verb walk expresses the coming about of, of conduct, which contrasts from previous conduct. So what it leads us back to is the beginning of the passage there in verse 2. So you have verse 2, the old way of walking. Verse 10, the new way of walking. It's like bookends here. 
And, and verse 2 described the walk of an unbeliever dead in transgressions and sins. Spiritually dead. Not alive to God. But verse 10, that pinpoints using the same word but for believers. And what's going to happen as we go through even chapters 4, 5, and 6 is without using the word walk all the time, it does use it a number of times, it's the dominant theme of those three last chapters is the way a Christian lives, the way a Christian chooses to live, the direction the Christian is going. So in chapter 4, verse 1, it says walk worthy. It says in chapter two, 5, verse 2, walk in love. Big theme in Ephesians. Verse 8, walk as children of light. Verse 15, be careful how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Look through the whole New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, 47 out of the 49 times, all eight times in Ephesians, the word walk refers to the conduct or the lifestyle of the believer. Now, it can be negative or positive, but it's the lifestyle of believers where your, your conduct changes from what it was previously. You don't stay in your old life. And what it's tied to, and this is what gives us confidence in this, is not just God saving you and saying, okay, see you in heaven, you figure it out. No, it's tied to, and you'll never be, you know, you'll never be not tied to this as a Christian, that you'll be anchored to this, you'll be tethered to this. It's tied to God's call upon your life for salvation. So chapter 4, verse 1 is basically telling us the triune God is the basis of our unity in Christ and drives our living in Christ. We are to walk worthy. Chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Worthy. Walk in a worthy way. Literally, it means balancing the scales, uh, bringing, bringing your life into equilibrium in a manner worthy of or suitable to the con, uh, conduct in balance with or befitting the call you have to salvation. Philippians 1.27 says, live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Colossians 1.10 says, live worthy of the Lord. And so in Ephesians here, it's, it's inextricably linked to being chosen. Those, uh, like Romans 8 says, those whom God foreknew and predestined, he called and justified. And this is referring, by the way, not just to salvation by election and adoption by the Father, as chapter 1 talked about, but to union into the body of Christ, into the church. And the call, the call to walk worthy, it's not just an individual believer where you're on your own and the only thing that matters is how you figure it out on your own. No, but it's about the corporate body of believers. It's why it's important the cho choices you make and that the choices I make, we affect one another. It's a, it's a weighty responsibility that our life and witness together, God calls us to salvation and then into the body of Christ and union with Christ, and, and our conduct needs to fall in line with our new life in contrast to our former life. Why is it important that you have good relationships in the body of Christ? Because you're going out into a world, and if you don't have good relationships in the body of Christ, and you're talking even, you know, trash about Christians, they're not going to be going, wow, I want to hear more about this gospel. <laughs> because Jesus put it this way, they'll know you by your love one for another, when you're absent or when you're, when you're together. So the conduct needs to fall in line with our new life in contrast to our former life. That's why Christians have to love each other. You have to find a way to get there. And, and what, what this is saying is that we should walk in them. Here's what it's saying. Start walking and don't stop. Start walking and never stop. Keep moving. 
live this way, in newness of life, a, a new creation, doing the good works that God set up for you long ago as your obedient response that, you, at, that we should walk in them. That ongoing action, you eagerly follow the new direction that God set out for you. Where you wake up in the morning and you say, thank you, Jesus, for a new day. How can I serve you? Because of the new life you gave to me. That, that you would do what you were remade to do. That, like you would fulfill the purpose that God intends. That, do you realize the good works that you do reflect the good God you serve? And your good works reflect his good work? When you want to walk worthy of the calling, on, you're, you're, it's like you're on a continuous journey. It's just going and going and going. And you're either going to serve yourself or Jesus. You're either going to live for yourself or Jesus. And there's, there's really not a middle ground. And the Bible doesn't give us a lot of options that way. Titus talks a lot about good works, good deeds. Titus says in chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says this uh, in Titus, by their deeds, some people by their deeds, they deny Christ. And they're detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. And then he says in chapter 2, now you show yourself, Titus, an example of good deeds. And what are, what's the examples? He gives them, gives tangible examples. Purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in your speech, which is beyond reproach. It goes on in that same chapter to say, God will redeem believers from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now, being a zealot, sometimes it's seen as a, in a negative way. God wants you to be a zealot for good deeds. Like the deeds just pile high and deep because you just want to serve Jesus. And you do have to measure your life by that. And, and zealous for good deeds, good deeds literally means beautiful, better behavior. Beautiful, better behavior. And in, in Chapter 3 of Titus, it says this, that those who have believed God should be careful, like thinking about it, planning it out, to engage in good deeds. And it says in, at the, near the end of Titus, our people must also learn, like we said it like five times already, but we're going to say it one more time, learn to engage in good deeds, literally good occupations, to meet pressing needs. Be occupied. Occupy yourself. Pursue every good thing you can. Well, the great thing about that is, wow, I have a, a purpose for living then. I can do this in whatever realm that God has placed me in. It's interesting that the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, verse 24, right after telling us, don't forsake the assembly, which means don't tell Christians in your local church, I don't need you, I don't want you. It says this, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Like, think it through. How can I do this with my brothers and sisters in Christ? James says it this way, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. He goes on to say, if there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every evil thing. So there are things that need to be eliminated, eliminated from our hearts and our lives. He goes on and says, the wisdom from God is peaceable and gentle and reasonable and full of mercy and good fruits. Unhypocritical, persevering. 
Peter says similar. Peter says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, so good doers are being called evildoers, they may, get this, because of your good behavior, your good deeds, as they observe them, everyone has eyes and ears, glorify God in the day of visitation, that they would literally believe in Jesus. Because as Matthew 5.16, as Jesus said, they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That doesn't mean they're going to say, oh, God is great if they're not a believer. Glorifying your Father in heaven means they will believe in Jesus. And then Timothy, Paul told Timothy some things about good works. He says, he says, here's how the men should operate in doing good. Praying and not expressing anger or dissension. And then he tells them how women are to adorn them. This is all 1 Timothy 2. Uh, women are to adorn themselves by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. And a Christian woman or a Christian man can't say, okay, I won't make the claim. If you say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, <laughs> you're, in the, you're there, okay? You made the claim. I mean, you, you just, this is your life. And then in chapter 5, it talks about widows. Widows were to have a reputation for good works, devoted to every good work. In, in chapter 6, the rich are talked about. Instruct the rich to do good, to, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. And you notice it's just permeating through the church. Everybody's supposed to be about good works. And this, goes, this, this exhortation to good works, this good behavior, this obedient, holy living, it fits every time, every place, every language. Like anywhere you go as a Christian, it fits. It's talking about your ongoing life. It's talking about actively living to please God. And, and here's an interesting one. When you go back to Ephesians, and Paul is concerned for the church that they wouldn't worry about his imprisonment. He was, he was concerned about something more for them. So in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, don't be worried about my imprisonment. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, here's what you should be worried about. Make sure your conduct is holy while I'm imprisoned. Like, don't mess up the gospel witness. Walk in good works. Keep moving, folks. Keep moving. Now, walking in good works, I'll put it this way. It's synonymous with being a disciple, loving Jesus, obeying the word, you know, following Jesus. You were created in Christ for the goal of good work in order that you might walk in them. So you're doing the good works. You're following Jesus. You're serving Jesus. You're obeying God. Uh, let me put it to you this way. Here's, here's a simple one. Being a believer and living like one. Keep walking, being a believer, and living like one. Now, what if somebody gave you a brand new car? It wasn't just a new motor. It was new everything, okay? Not just a new paint job. Not just new seat covers. I mean, we're talking all new, okay? All new car. They give you an all new car. What if you said, you know, I'm going to keep it in the garage because I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to get the tires dirty. I don't want to get any dents in it. I, I, I don't want it to get old, you know? And so I'm just going to keep that in the garage and not use it. Well, if you do that in your Christian life, you're gonna, what are you going to do? Probably go back to your evil deeds. You know, no, uh, take your Christian life for a spin every day. You take it for a spin. Take it for a daily spin. So the, the amazing thing here, here's the amazing thing about new life in Christ. Guess what? God keeps renewing your mind by his spirit through the word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You don't stay static. 
And there's so many examples. Oh my goodness, there are so many biblical examples of people who, you know, uh, walked in good works, uh, obeyed God, lived a holy life, lived a godly life. I mean, think of an o- obedient follower like Noah. Go all the way back to you know, Genesis 6. Noah walked with God. He did everything God commanded him. Well, there's some good works. Or, or a justified believer like Abraham, a sojourner that was following God's covenant promises. And you see it in chapter 12 and 15 and 22. Now, in the in-between, the guy's making some stumbles. The guy's sinning. The guy's falling. You know, he's, he's, he's making some bad choices. But God keeps him going. He's a justified believer. He's doing some good works. What about, what about this? What about a righteous fool? What about Lot? He chose to live in Sodom. He chose selfishly. But what does 2 Peter say about Lot? Well, it says something about God and using Lot as an example. It says, If God rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, as that righteous man lived among them day by day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Like he shouldn't have been doing that. He should have had like a gospel, like a God uh, uh, looking for the Redeemer kind of witness. But it says this, if God rescued righteous Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Don't be so afraid. What about the limping follower? I think of Jacob in Genesis 32. He wrestled with God, was left with a limp. And God's going to touch every servant he uses in the socket of their hip some way, that he uses pain to point you to him. I know of several people in my life right now who are going through deep physical pain. And each one of them is saying, this is reminding me about how good God is. And in whatever situation they're in, they just want to serve Jesus. Even when they feel like they're not doing a lot. Some people are watching on the live stream. They can't get here. They would if they could. And, and you need to know, you know, your life, you can be doing good works laying there. We're walking in. Most of us got walked in. We drove here. We get to choose what we're going to do next. What about a true friend like Jonathan? Let his friend David shine at, at cost to his own position in life. What about a courageous helper like Jonathan's armor bearer in the pomegranate cave saying, I'm with you heart and soul, life or death. What about showing extraordinary kindness? What about, what about David with Mephibosheth? If you're not familiar with Mephibosheth, you need to be. He's the son of Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. And Jonathan was the friend of King David. And when Mephibosheth was five years old, his father Jonathan was killed in battle. And his nurse fled with him, this five-year-old, and dropped him. And both of his feet were crippled. And he couldn't walk. And he was carried to the land of Gilead. And years later, David wanted to show some kindness to Jonathan's family. And so he brought Mephibosheth and his infant son Micah to Jerusalem. And they lived with him from that point on. What a good work for someone who couldn't do for themselves. Or what about a wise, godly man like Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, married Ruth, continued the line of Christ? What about the faithful daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess? Your people will be my people. I'm not leaving you. What about the courageous advocate like Esther? If I perish, I perish. She did good for her people. What about a yielded servant like Mary, Luke 2? Be it done to me according to your word, Lord. Or what about like a powerful man like the Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8? He wanted to get help for his servant. He went to Jesus. What about a humble worshiper that was commended and then one that was corrected? Mary and Martha, Luke 10. 
Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. Another time she anointed his feet and wiped it with her hair. And Martha is distracted with with so much serving, thinking she was doing all the good works. And she says to Jesus, Martha says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving by myself? Tell her to help me, because my works are so good. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about so many things. You're troubled. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Friend, you need to take care that your good works are not self-focused. Like, why are you doing them? In Jeremiah 45, do not seek great things for yourself. How about a, a follower that, was, that failed but was restored? Like Peter, ready to quit, throw in the towel, go back to fishing. You know, he... He denied Christ three times. He feels like he's done. Jesus recommissions him, and he receives it. That's a good work. What about a godly woman like Dorcas in Acts 9? The disciple named Tabitha, which translated Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. We don't even know the list of all the things she did to bless people. What about a hospitable Gentile like Cornelius in in Acts 10, the Roman centurion, who basically brought everybody into his house that you need to hear what we're going to hear. What about a godly girl like Rhoda, the believing servant who helped the church in Acts 12? Or the tender-hearted hospitality of Lydia in Acts 16? Or the concerned citizen that Paul was? Acts 17, Paul's waiting for his co-workers in Athens, and his spirit's provoked within him as he sees the city full of idols, and he reasons, here's what he does, this is the choice he makes. He says, I'm going to make, I'm gonna make some lem- lemonade out of these lemons here. I'm going to go into the synagogue with the Jews, and, and I'm going to, every day, whoever's there, I'm going to talk to them about Christ. They put him in the Areopagus, thousands of people in this arena. And he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. In fact, I saw an altar that you wrote to an unknown God. So what you worship as unknown in your ignorance, I proclaim to you. You want to be a concerned citizen, then you're going to have to probably be more concerned for eternal souls than your social issues and your politics that you need to live out the hope that is within you with, with gentleness and reverence. You have an incarnate apologetic so that your defense of the faith is not just going to fall on deaf ears because you're answering questions no one's asking. I once had a car. It was a little car. It was a Suzuki XL7. Had it when I first came here to pastor the church in 06. And when they did the review on that car, here's what they said. Suzuki answered the question no one was asking, which was, can you fit seven people in that little thing? <laughs> Is there a third row? <laughs> you know, you don't want to be that kind of Christian where you're literally answering the questions no one's asking. What about the helpful counselor, uh, the counselors Priscilla and Aquila, who helped Apollos understand the way of Christ more accurately? What about the godly mentor that Paul was? And he says to Timothy, what you've learned and seen from me, you entrust to faithful men able to teach others also. The good works of an older man to a younger man. Find a younger man to encourage. We talked about this last week. Find a younger man to encourage older men. Ask them to go to coffee. Ask questions about his life, his testimony, his ambitions. Let him ask you about yours. 
and bring Christ and the cross and the gospel to the forefront of your conversation. Talk about sports and your family if you'd like, but bring Christ to the forefront. What about a godly mother and grandmother like Lois and Eunice that taught Timothy the word of God? You cannot underestimate the good work impact of a godly parent or grandparent that brings the word of God intentionally and shares the gospel in their life with their family and have a word-drenched household. What about the conscientious worker that's unnamed, that's just the general one in Colossians 3 that says, whatever you do, work at it from your heart because it is the Lord Christ whom you are serving. Don't do it to be seen by man. What about the productive church member that Epaphroditus was? Philippians 2 tells us he came close to death in serving the church. What about the faithful friend that Philemon was and Paul was to him? And Paul tells Philemon, you help me out. But what did he tell him first before he asked him to help him out? He says, I have derived much joy from you and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Good works. Keep walking. What about the repentant sinner that Onesimus was? He is useful now, Paul says. What about believers in a tough environment? I love Philippians 4 too. Everyone greets you, especially those of Caesar's household. Wonder what was going on there. What about the forgotten ones, though not forgotten by God? I, I love Hebrews 11 and the whole list of all these, these people of faith. And then... The writer gets to a place and says, and time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and all these others. They just get their name put on there. No story about them. And then he says, and others. How'd you like to be the others? Others were, were tortured and sawn in two. Their good work for Christ rewarded with death instantly with the, in the presence of God. What about the faithful minister, Tychicus, in, in Ephesians 6? He says this to the church, so that you'll know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. He'll fill you in on all the details about my life. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. How about the humble servant leader, Titus? That was to show and present himself in all respects to be a realistic model of good works in his conduct, a pattern of good works for all to imitate. You know, everything I do, godly men in my life have had some part in helping me know how to do it as a pastor. Praying, preaching, uh, shepherding, peopling. What about the, being a bold witness? What about the good work of being a bold witness? Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 the people were astonished at their boldness. And what was their prayer? Not, well, aren't we bold? It was, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Keep walking. Standing firm in Christ's finished work. Confidently pouring out your energy into God's work because God's work is eternally significant. The gospel is powerful. Jesus Christ in him crucified, risen, and coming again. He is reigning now. And you're bringing the word of God. Our conscience-binding authority, which tells us sin is sin and tells us love all people. Just as Jesus showed love to tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus came to die to rescue people out of their sin. He didn't excuse their sin. He didn't accept their sin. He didn't approve of their sin. But he didn't condemn the woman caught in adultery. He only told her, go and sin no more. So you can affirm and accept a person without affirming and accepting all their choices and behaviors. 
You can be engaged fully in Christ's present work right now as you keep moving in Christ, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do you realize I gave you like 31 examples just now from the Bible? If you were counting, there, there were at least 31 of them. Good works that you would walk in them. That, what does that mean? Follow Jesus. Serve Christ. Obey God. Be a believer and live like one. Keep moving. Uh, Ephesians 4 to 6 is going to call us to good works. And by the way, it's kind of obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Good works overcome bad works. Good works are better than bad works. You want to do good works, not bad works. I just need to tell you that. But let me just tell you this too. True good works do not involve fuzzy math where you think doing certain good things tips the scale in your favor and allows you to do some bad things, you know, like having cheat days on a diet. No. No, true good works flows from a heart that is sick and tired of doing evil. Where you fix your, your heart on Jesus and his faithfulness such that he will fix your faulty thinking and he will uh, renew your fickle mind and, 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 and you know how weak you are but you know his strength is made perfect in your weakness and, and that God, the spirit of God can use the word and, and the people in, in, in the body to, to clean up your messy, meandering mind and show you where true goodness lies. That only God is good and, and any good comes from him and the fruit tree doesn't boast of its fruit, it bears the fruit. So let your good works just pile up and don't ever count them. God will use them for good. George Mueller put it this way, work with all your might, but trust not in the least in your work. Serve the Lord with gladness. Joyfully join in the work. And by the way, good workers, uh, look at verses 11 and 12 with me real quick. Just dip your toes in verses 11 and 12 with me just for a moment. I just want you to see something. Verse 11, it's going to cause us to remember again. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember, verse 12, that you were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If you want to do good, if you want to keep going, keep walking, you have to remember who you were and where you came from, and what you deserved. I don't know why, but Christians can somehow get that swagger, and sometimes just come across as, I know it all, and I know more than you, and I'm better than you, and that's not good works. We are created for glory, and we were dead. That wasn't hyperbole, that was fact. You were dead, God made you alive, so that you could do good works, and so we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And others, you remember where you came from and who you were. Your life is new for no human reason. He paved the way, you walk in it. And, and the Christian says this, I can't believe what I got when I deserve the exact opposite. I deserved a judgment, I got mercy. I was dead in Adam, I'm alive in Christ. Adam did bad deeds unto death. Disobeyed God, ate for the forbidden tree, unfaithfully broke God's covenant, was expelled from Eden, death in the world in Adam, we die. But he received the promise of the Savior. And, and, and by Adam's disobedience, we were made sinners. By Christ's obedience, the last Adam, we are made righteous. 
with the resurrection life, that, that Christ's good deed brought us life. Dead in Adam, but by grace alive in Christ and saved to do good works. Following Jesus, obeying the word, strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he's coming back. Jesus is coming back. Only God knows when. But until then, here's what you and I are supposed to be doing. Stay engaged in good deeds to meet pressing needs. Forget all the other things that you are so wrapped up in. Do your job, love your family, blah, 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 pay your bills. But stop being so crazy about some of the other things. Here's why. Your good works are absolutely crucial for God's glory as he brings many to glory. So your good works matter. They're not inconsequential. The, the, reason, God, the, the reason God saved you, that, that's a biggie. Uh, it's because God prepared them, that's a biggie. And God intends to use you as he gathers his elect. That, that your temporal good works are for God's eternal glory among the nations at Christ's return, that we know Christ defeated sin, death, and the devil at the cross. Yet those three are still hounding us. And they will be obliterated at Christ's coming. Christ rules and reigns now, yet at present, as Hebrews 2, 8 tells us, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We know, as Romans 8 tells us, this world is continually groaning under the burden. And one day it will be uh, experiencing the promised glorious perfection. Uh, but Scripture assures us of something. Scripture assures us of the promised, personal, visible, bodily, imminent return of Christ. God promised it. We'll know it's Christ. We will see him in bodily form at the time only God knows. And his second coming will demonstrate his, his victory for all to see. As the scriptures tell us, every eye will see him. And when that happens, unless you die first, when that happens, your temporal works will end. But the glorious second coming of Christ must impact your worldview and your works. And the urgency of our task is due to the imminent return of Christ or else the church sleeps. And we're to keep walking. And this week, a lot of eyes and ears were focused, glued this week on that ongoing drama of that Ocean Gate Titan submersible. And it seemingly imploded when it lost communication with its mothership. It lost contact with the command center. Five souls crying out, no one to help. The key to what we're looking at today has to do with keeping contact with the command center, absolutely. You're hoping in Christ, you're following Jesus, being a Christian. But the secret to your good works in Christ is, is not you holding on firm and staying connected to the vine, even though that's what you're called to do. It's the fact that he gives you the strength you need because he's holding on to you that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, that you can be strong and in the strength of his might and have some long obedience in the, in the same direction while sometimes uh, meandering, sometimes wandering, but kept by God. Christian, you're kept by God, preserved. So just walk this road humbly as you ought and realize God is a God of deliverances and you have no idea how many times he saved your life and how many times he's kept you back from disaster. And he is even determined to keep you this very moment. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can keep moving.
that we can stand up and put on the belt of truth and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the shoes of the gospel and the sword of the spirit and pray at all times and do what we're made to do. But it's because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by your grace, Lord, we'll keep moving, knowing that you are the one worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And we know, Lord, you are not unjust so as to forget your people's work and the love they have shown for your name. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your kindness and for your faithfulness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us as we close singing Glorious Christ. Christ. 
You're seated now in heaven and throned at God's right hand. And out of death and freed us from our fears. And though we cannot see you, you're coming back again. And so will be made right when you appear. And so will be made right when you appear. You are the glorious Christ, the greatest of all delights. You love beyond all heights, no greater sight. day and night, glorious Christ. Before we go, just a few announcements. Grace Orange Academy, a new ministry is starting. There's a lot of info on our website, online registration and all that. This Wednesday night, uh, info night and Q&A uh, with coffee and desserts, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. right here. Uh, lots of summer events going on, so make sure you check those out. Uh, missions uh, conference on uh, July 29th for the sake of his name featuring uh, Luke Womack and Chris Anderson and Ed Trenner and then the missions course is starting uh, on September 19th six six Tuesday nights in a row make sure you sign up for that and I would be remiss if I did not bring this up last week we had the most amazing week here of VBS Vacation Bible School and only God knows how many uh, children and their families were reached for the gospel and grew closer to Christ as well. Um, and uh, and I'm, there's going to be someone in the others category here. So if you're the, one of the others, your, your, your reward is greater. But Cassie Verdesia, Sarah Woodson, Susan Clark, Michelle Haas, Angie Miklia, uh, Brittany Livesey, Matt Strzeski and his family, uh, Tracy Fessett, Becca Lyles, Connor Haas. The list goes on. If you're in the others category, I, I'm sorry, but we were reaching kids and their families for Christ this week. And praise God for that. And pray that, that fruit would remain uh, from that week uh, that we just had. So let's close now with Colossians uh, 1, verses 9 and 10. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And Lord, may you strengthen us with your power according to your glorious might, with endurance and patience, with joy, that we would give thanks to you who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of Christ in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. We praise you, we love you, we worship you, and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in